0: So hi, my name is Keith Gellhorn, and I own uh, advocacy. Uh, What we do is we coach uh, neurodivergent youth and adults who live with ADHD, learning disabilities, autism, anxiety, and any co-occurring mental health challenge that impacts executive functioning. Uh, Up until about a week ago, our clientele were (laughs) uh, uh, 18 plus, so we primary, or I guess high school and plus, primary focus on kids in grade 12. We have a post-secondary transition program program. Uh, college, university, right through PhD students. Uh, We also have a career transition program or uh, coaching for professionals as well, as well as uh, uh, entrepreneurs. The reason I say it changed about a week ago is we've recently uh, done a little handshake with uh, Beyond ADHD. So they provide um, ADHD diagnosis for kids six and up. Uh, for about three hundred bucks, give or take, instead of spending thirty five hundred dollars, which you typically pay for a psychiatric assessment. So we've got a we've got a, a collaboration going with them. I also have another collaboration going with the Adult ADHD Center, which is based out of British Columbia. They focus on diagnosis eighteen and up. Um, they actually have uh, nurse practitioners stationed right across Canada. Um, That process is about four to eight weeks or so for the turnaround beyond ADHD they have instantaneous so um, two big announcements I suppose currently I'm going to introduce Leanne she's um, from Silver City Halifax and I'll just let you take over there's no point in me spieling on about your sure. (laughs)
1: Sure, yeah, um, yeah, so hello, Leanne Richardson here. I am the founder of Sober City, um, which is um, based out of here in Halifax. Well, I'm in Dartmouth, and I started Sober City January 2020. Um, but to back up, um, as Keith did say a little bit earlier, how um, he did coach me when I went back to school, that is true, and he helped me a lot in a lot of ways. And basically, my journey to get to where I'm at now is. Incredibly colorful, um, but I can summarize it. I believe I can. So bear with me here. Um, it was, I was the age of 30 when I quit drinking alcohol, and also at the same time when I was diagnosed with ADHD, and when I decided to go back to school and get my life together. And I did that because I was in active addiction with uh, mostly alcoholism, um, some drug use for basically all of my 20s. It started um, back in my teen years. And 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 when I'm trying to connect how ADHD might have come into, into play with my addiction, because I know there's a lot of connections when I look back and I try to find connections with with how it could have presented, and and I see it in so many ways. Um, and like I said, I was diagnosed when I was 30, but when I was a child, always on my report cards was that Leanne talked too much, um, or that I was, uh, you know, I would pay a hyper focus on some things, but then miss the bigger picture type stuff. Or when I was cleaning my room as a child, I would be found in the corner, like finding like coloring where my whole room would be an absolute mess, but I would feel completely at home, um, you know, little ways like that. And into my teen years, my impulsivity started to get more and more intense. And then that's when alcohol use would come into play. And basically all through my twenties is when my alcoholism really, really ramped up you know, it went from risky behavior, risky drinking, binge drinking into a full-blown alcohol use disorder, um, where, geez, I, I burned so many bridges, lost a lot of friends, lost respect for myself. Um, I was suicidal for, for a little while there. I was homeless a few times. I, I really felt like at the end of my twenties that, I didn't know what my future held, but I I knew that I had more potential, but I just didn't know what to do. I was completely stuck in my life. And and of course, as I don't know, a lot of people might know this, if they know addiction, then they would know that... um, you never really think it's the alcohol or, or your drug of choice that's causing all the trouble in your life. You feel like you need to fix yourself first. And then maybe later on, you might think about quitting drinking. But a lot of people don't realize, yeah, really should quit the substance first, and then the things will follow. So I thankfully figured that out. I got sober at 30. March 2nd, 2014 is my sobriety date. Six months later, I went back to school um, so I would have met Keith when I was around six months sober. Um, and at that point in my life, like I said, I was stuck. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was dirt poor. Um, I ended up finding, um, basically an empo- employment agency here. They, uh, helped me get um, a grant to go back to school basically. And then through, through that, through the government, they helped me to get funding to be diagnosed with ADHD, inattentive type ADHD, and then they funded um, for me to have a coach, which was Keith, and he helped me in my first year of uh, of college, just with organization and helping me to understand how my brain worked. Because up until that, eight, up until I was thirty when I got diagnosed, I had no idea. I legitimately thought that I broke my brain with alcohol. I, I didn't think it would be possible for me to th- think. Because all my thoughts were always jumbled up. None of them, nothing made sense. I couldn't have clear thoughts, but realizing now when I look back, a lot of that had to do with the act of alcohol use. And then in recovery, it takes a while for your brain to sort of rewire itself. But I, I, I went through the recovery, went through school. I ended up graduating with honors. And I know that a lot of, of that had to do with the coaching that I received from Keith, Literally helping me how to write notes, how to organize my thoughts, and how to step back and, and look at uh, my coursework, say, for instance. But so I graduated from that and I have a career that I absolutely love. And because I'm eight and a half, almost nine years sober now, I talk about it on YouTube. I started my YouTube channel long before I started Sober City, but I felt like Halifax needed something to help people out who were newly sober or sober curious, you know, people needed to know where to go, you know, what places had non-alcoholic beer, for instance, or, or how do you meet other sober friends, you know? So I created sober city in that one goal of connecting people in recovery and connecting people to show people that sobriety isn't boring and that Halifax has a lot to offer that doesn't involve drinking on a patio like everyone associates with Halifax so it's been almost three years now with Sober City and I still do weekly meetups we do zoom meetups and and um, I've made a lot of connections with people um, in different stages of sobriety different stages of of substance use and I've learned so much um, in the past almost three years by running Sober City and it's continuing to grow and uh I did some peer support training as well so I'm adding that to it but by day I am in engineering so that is my focus but sober city stuff is and YouTube is you know what I do in the evenings so so that's pretty much me all wrapped up um as you can see it is colorful uh, my colorful past is uh lengthy but I think I summarized the best I possibly could but uh yes thank you for having me on and I am excited for questions
0: yeah so how did how did you swing from uh uh realizing specifically it was just just uh kind of casual drinking and hanging out with friends because i remember you you were like a rock star and a half you probably still are i'm guessing but but yeah you had the whole the whole scene going for you how did you like what was your aha moment i remember with With me, uh, drinking was never an issue. I don't drink at all. But but my aha moment was, you know, somebody said to me once, like, because I I used to, like, blame everybody else for everything that was going on around me. And this foreman that I had, I used to be a plumber, and this foreman said, you know, Keith, if you look around and everybody's an asshole, or you think everybody's an asshole, the biggest asshole is going to be staring you right back in the face. And at the time, I wanted to take his head off. Um, but I went home and I stared in the mirror and I was just like thinking about, I was like, I'm, I am an asshole. There's no question in my mind. Like, like I hate my life. I hate my job. I hate everything that's going on and everything. And I, and it was like the turning point, the start of the turning point. I didn't do anything immediately, but a couple of months later is when I got my diagnosis, went do do something. What was your kind of aha moment? Or have you had more multiple of them?
1: yeah um, I did have one big one big I'm lucky enough to say I had one big rock bottom night, basically where police were called. It was uh I wanted to end my life that night, and I almost succeeded uh but thankfully, right, my roommate came to my rescue and a friend of mine, and uh had no plans of quitting drinking, getting back home from the hospital that night. no plans at all um but uh the next morning, I could feel literally like... The air was different. Like there was something different. It, it was as if my world had, like the atoms in the in my world were different. Something changed basically overnight. It felt like, and I was like, I, I I'm quitting drinking. I I need to. And then that's when it all flooded into of all the different things that I have really messed up in my life. But. I think what helped with that switch was all the little things of realizing that, oh, no, I am not doing not doing actions that good people do. I, I don't want to ever say that I was a bad person, but I did a lot of really shitty things and a lot of things that were embarrassing and scary. And I could have died many times. So I think that all just came that night where I was like, whoa, like, OK, I'm going to die if I don't stop this. And then I, and then I stop And then of course, that's when the really hard work kicks in when you finally put the drink down, then you're like, okay, now you do all the, the uh, therapy and group therapy and really working on yourself. So, so yeah, I was lucky enough to have one big event that really did it.
0: I, just und- I did it for you. Okay. And, and navigating through there's there's lots of different programs you can do can you talk about the programs that you did do and what what you found effective and what didn't because i know i'm sure it wasn't just like i oh, quit drinking and i'm never a problem anymore right yeah <laughs> um,
1: yeah totally i uh, I reached out to um, Nova Scotia Mental health and Addiction services, so they hooked me up with a one-on- one social worker I had I can't remember how many like ten free sessions or something like that that really got me started with you know looking out for uh, relapse triggers and and the the core work like that. Um, but basically that next morning, March second, 2014 when I woke up and the air felt different I was like, I gotta quit drinking. what do I do? The first thing I thought of, what, because movies tell you is AA. I was like, okay, I'll try that. So I did AA for a year, um, had a a sponsor for a few months and uh, I found that very helpful. Um, But I stopped going after a while for lots of different reasons, uh, mostly logistical reasons, going back to school and whatnot. And uh, and then I ended up switching to more one-on-one therapy, which helped a lot. And um, I did a few uh through addictions mental health services as well. I did like a depression workshop, a cognitive behavioral therapy workshop. So more group support in that way. And uh and then once I created Silver City, I do the weekly online meetups, which is basically an hour meeting um, mm-hmm. of peer support. So then that ended up taking over um for me. But but yeah, I found mostly for me um one on one works w- works best in the beginning because I felt like I had a lot going on up here, you know. So that worked best for me.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I did. Uh, I started off with ten sessions in in Kelowna. Uh, here, I found I'm surprised you got ten. I mean, in mental health, you get three. So so 10's good. Ten wow. and ten was the the limit in Kelowna as well. Um, but on session nine, they're like, "Oh, you're doing pretty good, right?" I'm sure. I don't know if they try to do the same with you. They do for all of us, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, I was like, I'm not leaving. I said, I don't care what you do. I'm I'm staying. And I said, how do I stay? And they said, oh, you got to be suicidal. I'm like, great. Give me the phone. Comes to the question. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to drive a car off the bridge on the way home. Mm-hmm. Just like, I don't care what I got to say. That I call it strategic kiss-assing. It's my old oppositional defiant side, but I do it in a much nicer way than I used to. And then mm-hmm. I was able to stay and I stayed for two and a half years. I went every wow. same day, same time, every week for two and a half years. Wow. Um, and did every type of therapy known, to man, so cool. therapy, counseling, whatever. So, so along the lines, like everybody knows about AA, what other kinds of supports are there out there for? Yeah.
1: Addiction? The next biggest one would be smart recovery. Um okay. And that is, I don't know much about it. I just know that a lot of people prefer it that way, um, or prefer that program. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also life ring, There is moderation management as well, um, which moderation and alcohol use disorder for most people do not mix. So, but that is that is something that exists out there for for the few people who um, it would work for. Um, and then there's online. Uh, you know, there's the luckiest club that you can find online. There's lots of different online groups, um, mostly found in the United States, but they're open. You know, they do like Zoom sessions as well. Um, and if you're here in Halifax, then there's Sober City as well. Got but a uh, lot of online resources nowadays.
0: There's lots there, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so over the years, how have you been able to to stay sober and not, I mean, can you tell, actually, I should say, I'm going to preface that. How? Like, yeah, how... Not, not stay sober, but I mean, you would have had to change your whole friendship group. I'm sure. I remember actually we were coaching around that, that very thing that you like going out and doing your thing. Yeah. And then I remember that it was like this big, like, what do I do? Right. What do I do with my time? So how did you make that shift just in a lifestyle?
1: That's right. I forgot. We talked about that too, because that would have been important in you. Yeah, coaching no, it was me. Huge, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, because I was, I mean, I was going to metal shows and punk shows multiple times a week and and uh, very into that scene for the last like two years of my um, drinking career. So that was yeah, it was a, a big thing of like, okay, I can't go to these the seedy underbelly of the punk community in Halifax. I can't do that anymore. Even though Mm. I I love all the people and I miss them. I was like, I can't put myself in that situation. So, so what do I do? Thankfully, like I said, I went back to school when I was six months sober and that took two years of my life where I had to really concentrate. That helped a lot Um, for people who don't go back to school. A hobby helps a lot. Um, Something to take, big amounts of your time is what I tell people. But but yeah, for me, it was school that helped immensely. And um, just really paying attention to how I felt when I was around certain people, even if they were lifelong friends who I've known you know since I was a teenager. If I was around them and I could feel judgment or I could feel awkward in any kind of way around alcohol, or if I could see that they weren't respecting me and putting you know a bunch of beer in the table right in front of me, type thing and not thinking, um, I would take note, you know, I would have conversations with friends and say, you know, just so you know, like I can, I can smell the alcohol. So after two hours at at the bar, having lunch with you, I'm going to have to leave early because it's gets a little, you know, I'd have those conversations with people. Most people would be completely respectful and it would be fine. But I had a lot of those types conversations with people and, and Basically, keeping my distance. I didn't go to a punk show for a year after oh, wow. I got sober, and I was terrified before I went to that show. Mm-hmm. But it was awesome. It was awesome. And I just drank Pepsi all night. And yep. I mean, people don't friggin' notice. People don't care. Nope,
0: they don't care. They don't.
1: <laughs> right. But the people yeah. who did notice, then they didn't care. They're like, so what? You're here. Like, it's great. I haven't seen you in forever.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, but, but yeah. Filling my time with other things and really focusing on my future is what friggin' did it.
0: Yeah. So one of the things about like going out to a restaurant and just getting a Coke, right? I do it all the freaking time and, uh, and I feel like almost guilty about it. Like, well, I'm not getting in the, the, the booze thing. Right. Or like, or I have to say, or I have to preface it oh, I'm the designated driver, which is technically true. Like, you can't afford to not have a driver's license in Halifax. Right. Yeah. Um, but the other part about it is it just doesn't agree with me. Right. It's just not my jam. Yeah but um what are some of the challenges that you've found like I mean people in your group and stuff have talked about with especially in a drinking town like Halifax I mean we're we're you know you walk out of one pub right into the next one and they, that's the jam here what are, yeah. what are some of the challenges you found with some of your members
1: um, um yeah it there's a lot and I think there's a lot that most people don't realize and um so I'm happy to educate. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I would say the main one being is that, well, I'll preface this with, um, I ended up looking at, it took me many months, but I reviewed every menu of every bar and restaurant in HRM on their online menus and whatnot. I gathered all that data. Remember I said engineer earlier, Mm -hmm. I'm a data analyst. So I gathered all that information. It's on my website as the bar and restaurant guide. So I saw who has non-alcoholic beer, who carries mocktails, all that kind of stuff. And in doing that exercise, I realized that, the vast majority, it's changing over the past year. I'll, like it's its awesome. It's changing for the better, but for the mass, vast majority of establishments, they don't list any non-alcoholic drinks on the menu. Quote unquote, normal people would say, well, so what? Just ask your server. Okay, but think about it. Imagine you are a month sober and this is your first time going out. No one really knows you're sober. You <laughs> want to keep it to yourself. You don't want the whole frigging table to know or or whatever the case may be. Or you might be someone who just doesn't really drink or maybe you're pregnant or whatever whatever the reason is. And then when the server comes over, you have to be like, Hey, so where are your non-alcoholic drinks? You just announced the whole table that you're not drinking. There comes some stigma. There comes some judgment or maybe not, but you don't know. It's a terrifying situation for a lot of people. So so then the server has to, you know, try to remember off the top of their head and then list off all the things. So, I mean, it's just uncomfortable for so many people when they can just list it on the menu. That's the biggest one. And the next biggest one that I've heard from other people is is literally is just being next to alcohol at the table, like within nose distance mm-hmm. of smelling it and seeing people drink. And then, of course, a few hours in, you see the the, the change in your friends at the table, mm-hmm. then that can, of course, be uh, a little much and then we'd have to duck out a little bit early. But honestly, man, it's, it's the lack of options on the menu or the other last thing is, um, when we say, okay, well, do you have any mocktails, you know, like fun cocktail, like things, but without the alcohol, mm-hmm. oh, well, the bartender can make you whatever you want. Like, okay, but can you just show me like what they're through? Well, do you want fruity or, yeah. or do you want savory? I'm like, what? really? Like, do you do this yep. for food? You know what yeah. I mean? So- like if they were to list it out, they would yeah. make so much more money and Absolutely. it would take the burden off the customer mm-hmm. <laughs> Like that. anyway. So those, are the, those are the main ones that we find when it go when it comes to going out in establishments that people don't really realize.
0: Yeah. The, uh, on the booze side of things, my buddy's all like craft beer. I hate beer. Taste, I don't even know why people touch this stuff. It's disgusting. <laughs> right. And, but we'll go out to like, um, Oh, mm. any of the brew houses and they've got one obscure disgusting trip that they'll put on the menu and it will be non-alcoholic but they'll still charge you 10 bucks for it it's mm. like some disgusting concoction right of what they think is good I, I don't know I just I can't wrap my head around it. for me it's just it's twofold one I do have an addictive personality so I was like you know I just quit smoking for my second time like like 500 days smoke free now but oh, wow um, awesome I, it started back when I hired a coach who loved smoking and one I was like, ah, give me one of those. And then another one, another one. We smoked a pack yeah. on the way to the Valley. That was it. But anyways, got out of that, but we do have a question. Sometimes my partner's mom will start almost guilting me into drinking. So she doesn't feel shitty about it or shitty about herself. Um, people have hinted at her drinking too much. It's not my place to speculate. Uh, Whether she has a drinking problem, any suggestions for how I can respond to someone who starts judging their own drinking as, as a way of getting me to join them so they feel less guilty about their own behavior.
1: First of all, that is really good insight. A lot of people don't, don't equate that um, is when someone's guilting them in, it's often because it's a reflection on them. They don't want to appear like the one that's drinking cause they want, so they want someone to join in. That is classic. Um, a lot of the Silver city community members have talked about this exact thing in the meetups and, um, yeah, so that's, that's really good insight. And how would you, okay. Any suggestions for how I can respond to someone who starts judging? Yeah, for real, man stay true to yourself obviously um in in that way but I mean it de- would depend on the the relationship that you would have with that person um, but I would if there was any way to have any kind of one-on-one be like you know I I prefer not to drink today or or whatever the case may be can can you maybe please not um, mention that again um, because I'm gonna tell you right now I don't want to so I would try to do more of a more of a one-on-one casual thing, not like, because I find a lot of times it's easy to get someone to get defensive quickly, especially when they're already appearing to be a little defensive anyway, by wanting you to join in. Um, I've encountered that too. And it's uncomfortable, but I would set the boundary before before they even get more alcohol in their system, I would set the boundary before and be like, just so you know, reminder, like, I'm not going to, but you know, you're fine, do what you feel you need to do. But I'm not no judgments here. But I just, I'm just not going to and I'd appreciate it if you didn't try to get me to come along on your adventure. No, thank you. Yeah, that's that's super common, though.
0: I don't know if you can see this chat, too. But it says, uh, is me not saying anything about whether she should or shouldn't. Right thing. I think Mm. there isn't anything that I can say that's right. I literally don't know what to say and don't want to engage.
1: Exactly. No, good read. Uh, There, there really isn't. I mean, I could see maybe if, and this is mother-in-law, right? Yeah. Yes. Or partner's mom. (laughs) Yes. So no, there's really wouldn't be, I would think, you know, if it was a mother daughter relationship, even then maybe not. But no, I there I really don't think that there would be really much you could say other than your partner talking to, to the mom in that kind of way, you know, to say, hey, so I've been I've been noticing like, how's your relationship with alcohol? It seems like it might be a little on edge or something there. Is there anything you want to talk about or anything like that? Um, I remember when I was in that that situation. Yeah, it was weird for me to be around sober people when I just wanted to party. And by party, I could mean even just having drinks at with dinner at six o'clock with my family. Um, I it, it would be it would because it, it would be a mirror to me of like, oh, I'm drinking and and they're not they must think that I'm off the rails or whatever. So then I would get all in my head about that. Um, and there's, there's really nothing that anyone could have said to me unless they were someone very close to me. And even then it wouldn't have made it a difference really, but it would yeah. have planted a seed.
0: I got a question. I've got a, a longstanding friend of mine. There's uh, a lot of addiction issues, uh, especially around alcoholism, alcoholism in the family uh care about him a lot good friend of mine and uh you know he's been through recovery he's done the meetings and then you know we'll get together um at times be like "Well, it's okay if we have a drink now right and i feel like super uncomfortable right like i know the family i know the history i'm just like what the hell but I'm not, I can't control the guy's life but either, right? So I'm trying to be supportive, but also just kind of stuck. And I'm sure this happens <laughs> a lot. So what what's your thoughts on that selective sobriety type thing? So it's like, well, I'm with these people, I'm sober, but I'm with you, my boys, I can do whatever the heck I want. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. Do you have any experience with that?
1: Yeah, a lot, and it's so yeah. friggin' tricky, and it's so unfortunate because, I mean, if you had asked me this in my first year of recovery, like yeah. I would be like, "Well, they're in trouble, they're doomed, this is terrible." But now yeah. that I've had years of talking to people and and learning about all of this, like, um, well, first of all, your particular case with your friend that actually does sound like, um, you know, he has more of an issue than you know, risky drinking or or binge mm-hmm. drinking. No, but, no, but no. I first know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause I know for some people who aren't to that level, they can, yeah. you know, like yeah. only on special occasions and I've seen it work for, for some people, but I know others who have alcohol use disorder, um, mm-hmm. or, or who are, um, almost to that stage. Um, I mean, it just sounds like a justification or a rationalization and it makes sense for a lot of people because they still glamorize drinking and still remember the good times and it's really easy to forget how much alcohol can completely destroy your life as to why the person would quit to begin with Mm -hmm. and there's still a lot of for a lot of people um who some people would say they're white knuckling it by just not drinking, but not doing right. a lot of internal work. So they still glamorize alcohol. They still see a lot of magic around it. So they still mm-hmm. think like, oh, maybe, maybe someday I'm going to get to drink like a normal person and I get to experience that again. Um, so then they would look for reasons like, okay, well, this is, uh, you know, I'm going to Vegas or where's my birthday or, or whatever it right. is. And the
0: little sneak Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, well, first that's sort of unfair to not put that on a friend, but yeah. sort of like almost ask, asking for your validation to like, well, what do you think? Yeah. Like that's, that's not, that's puts you in an uncomfortable position. Cause what are you supposed to say in yeah. that? Like, are you serious? Um, but n- yeah. And now when I hear that, I just instantly feel like, oh, like I want to hug that person because it feels Meanwhile. like <laughs> they still, they still, you know uh haven't come to peace yet with how amazing life is without that controlling every friggin aspect of your life.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so I know a lot of it's intertwined, and this is part of the reason I want to have you on. A lot of it is intertwined with like mental health or executive function challenges. So it's just the impulsivity thing, right? I always think about when I think about impulsivity and executive functioning or just any emotion in general coming out. I think of like neurotypical people of having like this tightly woven neuro network in their brain that stops them from doing anything stupid. But people like us or me, I got like Swiss cheese. So if I'm lucky, I hit the cheese. If not any raw emotion, thought impulsivity comes rocketing out. And I like quote unquote, can't help what I'm doing or saying, right. Or putting myself into situations that aren't serving me in any situation um, I always mm-hmm. think about it with like people in the prison population. I mean, the only reason I'm not in jail, cause there was no, there's no cell cameras back in the day when mm-hmm. I was road raging it up. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, what do you think about uh, just a- any comments on that and the comorbidity I hate that word co-occurring challenges with, yeah. uh, mental health trauma, the whole bit.
1: Oh man. It's That's yeah. Jeez. Yeah. The trauma word. You're right. Like, yeah. um, and then adding in a brain that isn't typical. Yeah. It, it makes things a lot harder for what I found in my own life. Um, and then I found in other people too, because the impulsivity and, um, Coping with boredom and all that kind of stuff doesn't just go away, like it's still there, except we no longer have that drug to numb or that drug to feel like we're we're us again, you know, because mm-hmm. that's why I used to drink is so that I could feel like it was myself and I would feel like I was finally free and finally able to socialize and be funny and be cool and all this yep. stuff. Um, but so then you'd remove alcohol and it's like, well, who the hell am I? So then there's identity issues, then there's some past traumas that could come up for a lot of people. And then there is, yeah, making sense of your own thoughts uh, that ADHD would come into play there, where, um, I don't know if this is true for, for most people, but I know for me, when it, my ADHD would show up in the way of, I would have 700 thoughts and none of them connected. And it only made me feel overwhelmed and panicked and like I was doomed forever. Um, even though I was on the right path and going to therapy and and in recovery and all that stuff, it was still incredibly overwhelming. Um, so, so yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't know what it would be like to have a neurotypical brain and go through recovery, but I've seen it in some people and they just seem to, um, I don't know. Maybe they're just good at talking, but I feel like I am so much more scatterbrained than a lot of those people. And uh, and it's not that one person has it easier than the other. Some people would argue that my recovery would would was easier than theirs or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it all depends on everything in your body and in your whole past and everything that there's really is no comparison, but I know that it makes things a lot more difficult and and with medication as well. Once you add that in to play um, when some medications can be more addictive than others say, and it depending on the person throwing that into the next two can make things even more confusing and complicated. Um, I don't have any personal experience with medication, so I don't know. I can't speak on that, but, but yeah, oh my goodness. And the coping with boredom part Um, that's one thing that I noticed and I wasn't sure it was maybe a year ago. So I was like seven years sober and, and, uh, I don't have a boring life. I have a, I have a pretty colorful life. I would say now it's just healthy, Mm -hmm. but I was starting to notice that I was like trying to get into things that made me feel alive, like no adrenaline junkie stuff, but like listening to like, uh, true crime podcasts or like watching really disturbing movies because, and I was starting to wonder why am I doing that? but I felt like, and it was dopamine rushes yeah, and I was like, what is happening? And then I, I realized that. And I brought that up to my group. I was like, Hey, does mm-hmm. anyone else feel this way? Cause you know, before it would be, I would go out and party and, yeah. and get absolutely wasted and make a fool of myself. And that would make me feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But now I didn't have anything to be extreme about. Yeah. So horror movies and like true crime made me feel extreme. It made me feel sick sometimes because of mm-hmm. the gore and stuff. And I was like, but it was the dopamine that was, yeah. that was doing It's So interesting. I'm still learning it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. the <laughs> that's other crazy. thing. I wanted to ask, uh, I guess on the lines along the lines of the quote unquote dope hit as a play on words, the, uh, other individuals like well i don't drink but now i'm you know chronic weed smoker, whatever you know drug drug user instead and think oh there's nothing that's not a you know i quit i quit drinking so that's fine now i'm gonna do this one or smoking or whatever else your addiction is because it the long the short is probably regardless of whatever your poison is it's all like an addictive thing that's bad for you right so or food or any anything right i gotta my my thing's not drinking but the reason i don't drink is my uh my parents do they drink homebrew my dad at all point in time has over 400 bottles of homebrew and wow. he, in his in his possession and they drink two a night and he's like oh it's normal it's like juice and i'm like you guys are pickled right there's nothing and it's been going on for my whole life and i just yeah. watched them go yeah. from really nice and I'm not saying anything bad about them. But I mean, I'm like my parents but I understand to that to to just like incoherent after mm-hmm. two bottles and they justify being a homebrew nah no big deal right um oh dear. It, it's yeah any thoughts on that or replacing it a substance replacement or anything because I know what happens a lot
1: it does. Yeah. And, um, I would always say, you know, well, does the replacement like, sure. At first it, it might be fine. Let's just use weed for an example, sure. say someone quit drinking and then, um, they, they, They quit drinking because they had alcohol use disorder, not to the point where, um, you know, quitting cold turkey would kill them. No, I'm not talking about to that level, because I know for a lot of those people, marijuana can help them immensely um, when it comes to detoxing. But uh, for just like someone like me say, you know, I was just I was pretty bad and I quit. So. Yeah, if I were to switch to to marijuana for cause it helps with sleep, there's so many great benefits. So many
0: benefits, yeah.
1: Right. So I always tell Mm -hmm. people, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, just watch your just pay attention. That's Mm -hmm. all. Um, It might be great for the first few months, but just, just be aware, be self-aware, start to notice if it's starting to creep in and it's starting to, you know, replace other activities, same as alcohol. It's, that's what I would tell people, like, just pay attention to how it's starting to, if it even does start to affect um, the way you think or how you feel or your, your life. If people that you trust are starting to tell you uh, things about yourself or maybe about your use that would warrant looking at it mm-hmm. um, so so I would I would always say you know of course well not anything is better than alcohol obviously if they switch to coke or something then that's not good but True. you know there's um, or whatever it is like just just pay attention does it negatively affect your life? okay well explore your relationship further with that second substance but that's with substances um, then then there's food there's yeah. shopping um there could be exercise addiction and it or video game addiction i know that sure it's all addiction but in a lot of ways they have a lot of similarities and how it makes you feel inside yeah and uh, that's again where the self-awareness would come into play and that's what i tell people all the time is just pay attention to what it does in your life and how it makes you feel and just watch it
0: so i like you called out the dopamine addiction because that's what i I will do when i get start getting down those zones right just chasing chasing like i get my own highs i have highs and lows right so i'm either extreme like happy good mood kicking ass which i am now a month ago i couldn't even get out of bed right i was just so depressed mm-hmm. couldn't even function um yep. I, so i i do live on a little bit of a polar extreme personally uh, not bipolar or not diagnosed anyways but but mm-hmm. uh but i do Tell have the the highs and lows for sure and when i get on the ripper you were just mentioning it before we got on here hadn't been on in a month right well I've, yeah. I've been trying to do these for like 10 years and then it just dawned on me yesterday i was like man i went from five of these to 19 and they they keep going i've got people keep wanting to come on I've, i was like i just created a half year worth of content in three yeah. weeks right like you can't go wrong with that right so I'm exactly gonna, Continue I did the exact again. same
1: thing with yep. my YouTube channel. I put the call out, and I had so many interviews planned. I still right. have some I need to edit, and uh, and and like I said before we started, once you yep. feel that motivation, friggin' run with it because yep. when are you gonna get that again?
0: Exactly.
1: I've learned that about myself so far, and you yeah, see, even me last week, I was yep. so depressed. I I felt like I couldn't breathe some days. Yeah. So and but this week I'm getting back into it and you would never be able to sell. This this
0: will probably help. But as I I say, this will probably help because once you do one, because I I'm always freaked out at doing it. I had to do one during COVID and I literally hired somebody for a thousand bucks to sit on the other side of the computer while I delivered a three hour workshop. And, uh, she's like, do you want me to do anything else? I'm like, no, not really. Just sit over there. I don't even care. Right. Cause I don't want to talk to a blank screen and this, this is yeah. interactive, but yeah, I just, I couldn't get out of my own way to do the damn thing, but I got her done.
1: right? I hear you. Yeah. And that's a huge accomplishment. So seriously, yeah. good for you. I know what that's like.
0: Yeah. hundred yeah. percent.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. So if someone chooses to drink in your company, does it mean anything? I typically am the responsible friend. I like to have a drink here and there, but I'm not the friend people would experiment with drugs with. I guess the question is, is it worth examining who you drink with and why? Good question. She has lots it's, of good questions. <laughs>
1: it's funny. I get I've had a question similar to like to that over the years by like really great friends who want to be sure that they're not like being a dick in some sort of way so it's awesome Mm. i love these questions um and so if someone chooses to drink in my company doesn't mean anything for me personally no because i keep in mind that like people are going to do what they want to do and for the vast majority like 98 percent of the time people aren't thinking that it could bother me and if they do then they'll ask and and you know um yeah and then it would it would be fine but is it worth examining who you drink with and why Yes. I mean, I think everything would be, if, if there's a question in there, examine it, no matter what situation you're in, it's all around being self-awareness, self-aware, I would say, but, um, um, yeah, like I was saying earlier, like I would say to a sober person, you know, how does it make you feel to be around that person? Do you feel like they respect your boundaries and, do you, and that kind of stuff? And when it comes to the friend who still does drink occasionally, cause I, my best friend still drinks occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he's respectful and will, you know, not drink too close to me in proximity. And, and, uh, but I already feel comfortable with this person and I already trust them completely. So I don't need to question that, but it's still always in the back of my head with anybody who drinks alcohol around me where I'm like, okay, I'll just, just pay attention. You know, if they start to get rowdy and like talk to me this close then I'm like, okay, mm-hmm maybe they're just ignorant, but, or maybe they just don't respect me. So I, I always question it and I'm always paying attention, but I mean, overall, I don't, I personally don't care much anymore. Um, cause I'm so far into it doesn't trigger me anymore, you know? Right. Yeah.
0: Can you just tell us, uh, more about the meetup stuff that you do? I, I'll, I'll post all, I did post all your social media links. Um, but where can people find you on YouTube and all that jazz?
1: Yes. Um. Yeah. So on YouTube, I I generally do post every week. Um. Except I did take the last month off. Um. Mental health. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Whatever, man. I <laughs> couldn't. I couldn't be creative anymore. Uh. But anyway, I'm gonna get back into it because this helped a lot. Um. To talk into a camera again with all the lights. So I'm like, okay, I think I'll get back into YouTube again. But um. Yeah, I do a lot of um, like uh, basically like talking about, uh, how to stay sober or how to avoid relapse. I've done um, some interviews with people who are newly sober and that kind of stuff. So my YouTube channel is called Addicted to Happy. Um, I can put the link in the the chat here, but, uh, that's where you, uh, the public, I guess, would be able to get a lot of my content, uh, the the quickest and the the newest because, uh, Sober City, um, I would just randomly post. um, You know, if I hear that a restaurant now carries a certain type of non-alcoholic beer, say I'll post on that. Um, So the Sober City social media, that's more geared towards Halifax and sharing resources in that way. Whereas my YouTube channel is just more general alcohol recovery and mental health and stuff like that. So yeah, sober city health hacks across all the different major uh, social networks and addicted to happy on YouTube hey, is where you will find Welcome me. Oops, uh,
0: so thanks so much for coming on. It would be interesting if you ever wanted to do a flipped one, it'd be interesting. If your group is ever interested in chatting about ADHD, I do a little research on that and help you guys out. Cause yeah. I just did my thing is uh, a five to 10%. Or it's five to ten per- times more common among people with ADHD to be alcoholics, and it's about twenty-five percent um, abuse booze. I I would wager to say that's low. <laughs> In,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah,
0: really low. Uh, totally.
1: Dis- yeah. So yeah. on that
0: on that note um yeah if you're ever up for that chat uh, i'm going to keep these things going so maybe we could motivate each other at some point i think so (laughs) yes please that would
1: be great i'll have you on my youtube channel too and uh yeah that'd be really cool
0: yeah it'd be cool to have that chat um (laughs) thanks so much for coming on uh and thank you for everybody for joining and all your questions